Farmer Jones was getting tired of farming. Within his heart he had an urge to roam. He sold his farm one day so he could go out. I'm off for California for there's gold in them our hills. Welcome to the There's Gold in the Hills LTSSMB podcast. Here is your co-host and handy dandy enablement partner, Chris Hanlon. Did you know the first significant gold rush was not in fact in California, but it was just east of Charlotte, North Carolina. And I tell this to you not just because it's an interesting fact and you're now a smarter person, but because gold rushes, an opportunity to generate wealth, can occur in a multitude of ways under various conditions. And so during these moments, we want to be thinking about what can we control? Where is the next California? Where is the next Charlotte? Is it an industry? Is it a specific solution that we offer at LinkedIn to help us get inspired, build knowledge, gain best practices that we can apply? We're going to be bringing to a series of podcasts with TAEs across the business that we've identified as top performers in self-source booking and pipeline creation. We're bringing them into the podcast. I got co-hosts, I have Heather Slovin. We're asking them questions. We're learning about things that they do. For our first episode, we got Scott Schmugger and Andrew Pickens. In our first episode, we're covering things like why prospecting matters, myth busting, and getting into some of the opinions, mindsets, uh, as well as application of effort that Scott and Andrew apply. Listen in, give us feedback. Hope you enjoy. Thank you. The purpose of today is to talk about what you two are doing from a prospecting standpoint. Uh, you stand out amongst your peers, uh, but that goes for my co-host Heather too. So Heather has stood out amongst her manager peers in generating and delivering self-sourced pipeline um, and wanted to hear a little bit from you, Heather, about from a sales leader perspective, why is prospecting so important to you and your team? Yeah, I think a couple of reasons. I think number one is that uh, it's the one thing you can control, right? You can control your own destiny when you prospect. So, um, you know, we can do a lot of things. There are two things, in my opinion, that you can control in sales. One is self-sourced prospecting, which is how much output and how much input comes in. And the other is maximizing the people that you talk to, maximizing every opportunity. And so if you can do both those things, those are things you can control. And so if you don't like the way the amount of inbounds flow that week or the inbounds aren't quality or you don't have enough pilots in pipeline or something's churning on you with lead gen, if you focus on it, you can control your destiny. And the more conversations you have, the less emotional you are about the deals in pipeline. And I think there's an emotional piece of prospecting that comes into play. If you've got 10 proposals, in the pipe, you may respond differently than if you have three. And that impacts how you talk to your customers. So that to me is a big deal. And I think we forget sometimes how emotional a game sales is. And so if you're feeding the funnel, you'll be much less emotional. Okay. So with that context, I apologize. With that context, right? <laughs> Two people who do this really well, obviously are Scott and Andrew. I'm going to start with Scott. Scott, why does prospecting matter to you? You lead our team in self-source revenue. I mean, I think the last three years running, 
So we'd love to understand when you think about prospecting and what it means to you. Why does it matter? Uh, well, I think it, it's a mindset. I think first and foremost, prospecting is like the grunt work. It sucks. Like I think anyone should be able to recognize that it's not fun, but um, you know, there's di- that's how you make the diamonds. That's how you got to be able to dig through the dirt. So I think it's more one, just a mindset like, Hey, I'm doing this grunt work and this sucks because it'll set me up for success in the future, whether it's finding the right contacts, whether it's adding more to the pipeline, whatever the case is, but it's also just building that muscle. Um, I mean, we're lucky we're in LinkedIn. We, we don't get told a no nearly as often as if we worked at any other company. Um, so I think prospecting also helps build that muscle of doing things that you may not feel comfortable doing or not want to doing or getting rejected. Like, Hey, I'm reaching out to these people all the time and it's not working. So I, I can be build up that muscle of being unemotional, but also getting used to rejection because we get, we get that a lot at the different stages of the sales process. Yeah. I think that's a good point. Scott, every no gets you closer to a yes, right? Yeah, exactly. Andrew Pickens, what about you? Why does it matter to you? Why is prospecting important or why does it matter? Um, I, I think the biggest thing for me, at least someone told me early on was like, it's your job. And a lot of people don't realize that it's your job and we don't like highlight it enough, but um, it's a foundation of your job. And like you were mentioning, Heather, like being able to control your own revenue will allow you to have a lot easier conversations. You could be a lot more calm with clients. You can really have like a meaningful conversation versus like a pressured sale. And the fact that we do work at a company where people know LinkedIn, people hear LinkedIn and they can understand what it is right off the bat is, is a lot better of an advantage versus like a small startup or any other company. I also think like I came from a consulting background and I was solving problems and putting a lot of hours in and not making a lot of money for it. And I was like, okay, cool. I'm coming into sales. And um, if I really grind, I can control my own revenue. So being able to really control my own revenue is, is really derived from prospecting. So two of the things that you said, I think you both admit this, it's not easy and it's not fun, but it's, you got to get it done. Right. And so I think that's the other thing um, that's super interesting. So Chris put together some things that we've heard in terms of like, why are you two very good at effective prospecting? I mean, these are these are various stories that that I've heard or been asked uh, over the year about, about you two. Um, and I thought this would be a valuable opportunity to clear the air. Uh, uh, first one I had, and this one I heard a long time ago. Uh, do either of you stay up till like 4 a.m., 3 a.m., like, crazy hours to prospect or identify leads? I have in the past. Um, This quarter with the dog, I'm staying up for different reasons, but um, I definitely have at at points uh, with uh, like just trying to focus in, drink a bunch of coffee and stay up late for sure. Late night. Yeah, 4 a.m. is way too ridiculous. Um, yeah, but I, I think personally, that's why I like sales. It's it's very black and white. Like if I put in the work and I perform, like I'll, I'll get compensated better than if I'm an engineer who does 10 hours a day versus an engineer who gets six hours a day. Like they're probably getting paid the same. So like, I like that about sales. It's a direct correlation of work to, to compensation typically. 
So maybe it's a true grid. It sounds like they stay up late. They may work late. They may get up early. The early bird gets the worm. Jane well, Scott definitely gets up early too. Cause like we both compete adding startups and like, that's part of the hunt and that's, that's our job. So, um, and I like it. It's fun. Yeah, there's a passion. Uh, there's a passion that, that yields effort and consistent hard work. Uh, and you do that and you compound that, that little bit extra over time, you, you'll see, you'll see, um, you'll see results. Uh, we'll talk more about other techniques and other ways that your mindset uh, has been applied, but a couple more, a couple more situations we want to hear, hear from you on. Uh, do either of you pay offshore resources for contact scrubbing or after hour communication? I have not, but uh, I was flattered because a couple of people have pinged me before and been like, hey, I heard you have a team in India doing the prospecting for you. And I was like, no, but I would love that lead because that sounds awesome. Um, but no, I have not. Honestly, my whole approach has been like automate as much as you can, pull all contact reports and then spend your time with like the top accounts where I can. So. Yeah, I I've had the same rumor about me. You know, I've never outsourced it. Um, it's just about working smarter, not harder. Um, also, it's different as like a like a one where you have so many accounts. It's a, it's a lot harder to contact scrub a thousand accounts than as you're higher, you have less accounts. But um, no, I'm not going to trust somebody else to, to do my job. All right, we got one last one for you. Um, is your book that you're getting better than your peers? Are you getting better books of business than your peers? I can jump into that. No. Um, I think the difference with it is I'm going through as all the accounts that I can, and I'm also adding new startups where I can too. So. Scott? Yeah. I mean, I think this is the <laughs> obvious answer. No. Uh, it comes I think it also comes down to just execution. Like I personally, I've worked at other places before LinkedIn where it was a shit product. It was not an easy sale. Um, so selling when, when I started in AG is like, you're going to sell the best recruiting product. Like that resonates with me because it's true. Like this is a, this is a much easier sale than some other products. I don't, I don't take that for granted. One more. Have either of you ever bribed your SDs to do more work for you? I have not bribed, but I have built spiffs. So um, if spiffs are bribes, then yes. Um, oh, do tell us. Um, I remember my my SD uh, Z, my first quarter, uh, she asked like, hey, like, I really want to hit this number. And I pushed her to hit like 45 or whatever number it was for the quarter. Um and then I think I sent her Bravo points or like a gift card on the side or something, right. um, but she hit it. So, and it definitely motivated her. Side deals with the SD is good to know. I haven't, maybe, maybe I should start. Um, a lot of the, some of the concepts we pulled out as a part of the discussion come from the book, Fanatical Prospecting by Jeb Blount. And one of the, my quotes that I was struck by early on was uh, superstar prospectors tend to be early adopters of new prospecting techniques, cutting edge technology and methodology. Um, so I wanted to, let's start with you, Scott, on that execution. Like walk us through a technique that you're currently applying to generate that self-source pipeline. Yeah, I mean, I think one of the things I do, again, I think it's easier when you have less accounts is 
I literally go through all my accounts one by one. Like I, I'll know all my accounts. It takes a while, but I'll know all my accounts. So I can determine based on that, which one I think is a good account, not a good account, which ones may be hiring, et cetera. Whereas I'm not necessarily just leaving it up to data in the system, which is helpful and that's easier to use. But I, I also want to have my own, um, my own sense of the knowledge on the account other than just what potential like data is telling me. So I think that's one thing is like really getting getting an understanding of your accounts. But again, that may be easier when you have 500 accounts versus a thousand accounts. But to that point, also being smart about it. Like if I see a company's hiring janitors, yeah, I'm probably not going to spend a lot of time on them. So there's a balance of having done it, knowing which accounts I want to spend more time on and less. But ultimately I got to put in the work, go through the accounts one by one, which sucks. But I think that helps me have a better understanding of which ones I want to reach out to spend more time on. I will second this. I think this is important context. As Scott's manager, I think he puts in more tickets to fix the data in our system than any other rep on my team, hands down. If the account is no selling opportunity, if the hierarchy isn't owned by him, if the account has gone out of business, if it's buying internationally, he knows the details of every single account and even though he says it's easier as a three than it maybe was as a one, Scott, did you still do it as a one? Still did it. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of crappier accounts as a one. Yeah. Even though it was a tough job to get through 1500 accounts when he was a one, he did that too. What do you, when you were a one or even now, like what do you, what were some of the, the variables you looked for to disqualify prioritizing it from a prospecting standpoint? Um, I'll look at their website and what they're hiring for. That's number one, like, are they hiring? But then also what kind of roles they're hiring for. Um, but also just like sometimes the website, you could tell like this is some janky website. They don't have a LinkedIn page. Like the odds of me selling them a 40K package is just much lower than some company that has a nice looking website and has 10 roles for software engineers. Like something that the data may not tell me. Like the data may tell me in LinkedIn this is a really high score. They have a lot of hires, but that doesn't tell me what kind of hires or things like that. Um, so those are the things I'm looking for off the bat. It's just like what roles they're hiring for. Um, yeah, and aesthetically, like how their website kind of looks, but that's ancillary. You could tell pretty much when a website is really, really terrible that that's usually not not the best prospect. Okay. So you're essentially looking at what is their brand as the best you can perceive, as well as do they have any noticeable hiring trends? Yeah. And, and ultimately if their website will tell me what they do. Um, so that's also, again, like a, like I have one company that's a cleaning service. Not going to probably not going to be my best account, you know? <laughs> Andrew, when you're preparing and looking through like what matters to prospect, are you in the exact same place as Scott or have you approached it differently to be successful? I, I've definitely approached it the same with like going through all of my accounts each time. Uh, and there's a lot of bad accounts and recognizing those faster is typically the best thing. I think for me though, it's like figure out who are the top 10% accounts once I've gone through them and how do I spend 90% of my time with them? Um, the rest of my time I'll be spending like automating the outreach, sending all contact campaigns, 
um, sending like one-offs to like job posters, recruiter light, those types of things. But um, I think it's like how you spend your time with the right accounts. And a lot of people don't go through all their accounts. I'm sure like half the reps um, barely even hit like half their accounts. Um, so there's a lot of actually good accounts out there. It's just a matter of actually finding them and, and reaching out to them. So I, I think the craziest thing was like, there's been numerous years that I would reach out and they, the companies would say like, I didn't even know we had a LinkedIn point of contact and they've never talked to anyone for like three or four years. So um, just getting in front of them and getting a conversation going is, is key. How do you get in front of them? Prospect into them, send bloom, in mail, um, one-off outreach. Um, I do think like speaking about send bloom though, it's, it's great. And I know we're using sales off in the future, which I'm excited about. Um, the one thing with Sendloom that people don't realize is it comes into it as a campaign you could unsubscribe from. So um, if you do have the time and you're able to prioritize your right accounts, like if you do one-off emails, that's typically going to be your best bet. Um, so prospect finder emails, you can use um, their websites, uh, you can use sales navigator, those types of things. So how many emails, Andrew, do you think you send? Um, to an like account? a day or... Well, what if you're that? like, hey, these 10%, I want to convert into either pilots or deals. How much? Um, how many emails do you think you would send before you give up? Before I give up, so like on a given account, uh, probably I'll find at least four contacts per account. And then I'll probably send like five or six emails each. So let's say like 20 or 30 emails at least to that company. Um, okay. I don't think there's any point of doing a ton of touch campaigns. Um, usually after like the second or third touch, if they haven't responded, they're probably not the right person or they blocked it. Um, but I think the key is like going a little bit wider with the right accounts um, or trying to find the right contacts with the right accounts. So so if you do 20 or 30 emails, how many in-mails? Um, typically, uh, I'll usually only in-mail people like the, the top four people or the usually four, four in-mails per account. So do you know how many? What was that? Do you ever pick up the phone? I do. Yeah. Um, if it's the right company or the right contact, or if they've used it before, I'll definitely just reach out. Um, I'll either go and, uh, and sales navigator, find their email or I'll, uh, there's inspector too. So I'll go into inspector and, and reach out to them that way. So. Did you count how many touches that was Heather on a weekly basis? Are you keeping track I, of that? I know Scott has beat me with total send bloom outreach. Scott actually inspired me a little bit with uh, getting my numbers up uh, because it is a volume game. But I think like last year I sent like 50,000 emails. Scott, you probably hit like 80 or 90,000, but um, still is, is definitely like on a, a higher number. So do you know how many you had last year, Scott? I, I think I broke send bloom, honestly. <laughs> <laughs> That's why we're in sales uh, off. Yeah, I, I don't know the exact number, but to to piggyback off what Andrew's saying, I th I take a little bit of a different approach, but I think it again depends. Like if you have less accounts, you, it's less likely that you'll spray and pray as much as when you have more accounts. But to me, it's more of a numbers game. Um, so I'm gonna hit people up as much as I can, send bloom as much as I can, because um, also now we sell learning, so it's a little bit different. But at least with hiring, it's it's timing. Like we can't sell a hiring tool if a company is not hiring. And I'm not going to know when they're hiring at the exact right time, unless I can hound all thousand accounts and stay on top of them perfectly, but that's unrealistic. So how I viewed Semblum is like, 
it's my automation to catch them at the right time because otherwise I'm relying on maybe like a Merlin alert that lets me know they just hired a recruiter, which cool, that can happen. But ideally I probably want to talk to them before they're hiring a recruiter, not necessarily like it's hard to get that timing exact right. And the only way to, to increase the odds for me was outreach, whether that's in mail, send bloom, cold calling, used to do that a ton, still do it. Um, now it's a little bit harder because we don't have the numbers so accurate with everyone working from home. But um, when we think of prospecting, I think people just rely on email and we're kind of spoiled with LinkedIn. We can, to be honest, but that's not um, that's not what, how it should be. Like we, it's all hands on deck. So any way I could get in front of them, personal email, work email, call their cell, email them, my job's to sell you. That's all I care about. It's how I, how I got to get in front of you. Scott, do you think you're more relentless with certain accounts based on what you see, like what's on their website and the like? Do you prioritize? Yeah, I'll prioritize, but I'll also be I'll, I'll actually care less about bombarding a crappy account because I'm I just don't care as much, and I'll be more strategic. To Andrew's point, like with the uh, I, I, there's like some sales stat. I think it's like eighty percent of revenue comes from twenty percent of your customers. So like when I know I have a good customer that I want to get in touch with, I'll still hit them up a lot, but I won't necessarily just bombard them like I would a crappy account that I don't really care about because I know when I have that conversation, it's going to be worthwhile. Whereas the other one, the odds of the conversation going anywhere, which is probably lower. Um, so I'll follow them more, be more diligent about like comparing them to a competitor or just saw you hired this position, like things like that. Whereas the other one's more just generic outreach. It, the prospects have gotten the same generic outreach for years. So like if you can identify the top ones and you send a little bit more thoughtful of a note or like a one-off email, you'll still see more success. Um, so at least I think that way. So. Andrew, I'm curious, how often do you revamp the top 10%? Uh, probably every quarter, but sometimes more frequently. Um, so. Okay. So that 10% is, is moving. Always. Yep. Cause like you'll close hopefully a couple of them each quarter and then you keep moving. It sounds like for the lower quality accounts, it's about timing and like just constantly being in front of them this way, when the timing is right, they come to you or you're the first person they think of. And then if we're thinking about those top 10 to 20%, it's, it's thoughtful outreach. And if that does thoughtful, I want to be clear. I think this is a misnomer. Thoughtful doesn't mean long, mm -hmm. right? It means, short, concise, thoughtful messaging. So to your point, to Scott's point, like, hey, we worked with your three competitors. Here they are. We would love to work with you too. That's it. Because then you want to be able to reach out again. And if even if you do it four or five times, you can't put all your juice in one message if it's not read. So even if it's an in-mail, like congrats on your funding or love the article that you shared. I think these moments are the moments that's what sales nav can do for you. It can change the way that you outreach to a customer. And I think what you hear from these guys that's similar is they both have a hit list. And when they're prospecting those hit lists, those accounts that they're like, I have to close this. They're thoughtful, they're strategic and they're, they're consistent and persistent. Going off that too, there's so many send blooms that like the initial email is like, 
thousands of characters. And I try to keep mine like all sub 300 characters, just simple and clean. So they know what we're reaching out about and why. Um, so a lot of them are reading on their phone. So it's like, they don't want to get a long text. It's the same thing I say to somebody when uh, you're training them on an email, right? No more than two thumb scrolls on a cell phone because any more they won't read. A lot of busy people make decisions based on subject lines alone. Yeah, 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 yeah. Abrupt ending. We know. First episode. We're getting the hang of it. Really appreciate the time spent with Heather, Andrew, Scott, sharing their wisdom experience, prospecting. Hope you enjoyed. Fill out the survey. Smell you later. Good luck. Good here, and I'm going to take this old pick and I'm going out to California. Going out there and I'm going to dig some money right out of that soil. So long, Bill. So long, Pete.